Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're in a series entitled Fruitfulness. Every barren area of your life needs to become fruitful. So we're trying to go through the Gospel of John chapter 15 as our main base and the scriptures there to talk about the relationship that Christ has in your life to bring forth the fruitfulness that he wants to bring forth in your life. Fruitfulness is a command. Fruitfulness is something that is automatic if you're in the vine. Uh, fruitfulness is something that God uh, expects of his people. It's something that he wants from you. Are you fruitful? Turn to your neighbor and just say, are you fruitful? fruitful? So what does it mean to bear fruit? What kind of fruit should you have? A fruitful person is one who is implanted and abided in Christ. We've already covered that particular piece of our definition, what it means to be in Christ, abided in Christ. And if you haven't listened to that message, you might want to get it. That should result in growing. Everyone say out loud, growing. Everyone say out loud, increasing. Increasing. Come on, say abounding. Abounding. Flourishing. Flourishing. And reproducing. Reproducing. Now that's the will of God for your life right there. That you would grow, increase, abound, flourish, and reproduce fruit. Reproducing fruit, actually disciple and bring in that fruit in other people's lives. John 15, verse 1 and 2. I am the true vine. Say out loud with me the word I am. The last message, we looked at the word I am because that's a word that denotes the strength and power and resource of God. I am the true vine. There's a true vine. There can be some false vines. So you might be plugged into the wrong source trying to get the kind of fruit you want, but you don't have the right source to draw up the grace to get that kind of fruit. If you're in the wrong vine, there's no way for you to bear the kind of fruit that that vine Will bear. That's why Jesus says, you don't have to worry about if people profess that they're a follower of me or that people talk about the knowledge about the covenants and the Old Testament and the knowledge of the scriptures. What you have to do is you have to examine their fruit because by their fruits, you'll know them. Why? Because if that fruit is produced from my vine, you will recognize it. If they're not in my vine, You will recognize their fruits is something of a false vine. It's not the true vine. You will recognize them by their fruits. If they're filled with the carnal works of the flesh and hatred toward the things of God, etc., etc. He says there's no way they can be in this vine and have this source. And so Jesus is teaching us a very basic principle. If you have the right source, you'll have the right fruit. You have the wrong source, you have the wrong fruit. John 15, 1 and 2, different translation. I am the real vine. And my father is the gardener. He breaks off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And he prunes every branch that does bear fruit. So that it will be clean and bear more fruit. Pruning is certainly an art. And you have to be trained somewhat to do proper pruning to trees and vines and etc. When I was in uh, 
college down in California. I was going to Valley Community College in San Bernardino. I was 19 years old. And so I was working for a particular company, working like most college could do, with whatever kind of job you can get. So I got a job that had to do with tree trimming and tree taking outing and all that stuff. They were, you know, the tree people. And so when I got the job, he asked me, he says, now, do you know anything about uh, pruning and, and trees and that? And I said, oh, yeah, I come from a long line of pruners, which I don't. <laughs> but my grandfather, who is from Portugal, who moved here when he was very young and established himself in Hemet, California, his job, his business was pruning vines. That's what he did as a uh, person, an employed person in his own business. He was a pruner. He would go in and sell himself to the orchard people, and he'd go through and prune their orchards. I can remember as a little boy riding in these old, old flatbed trucks with my grandpa, and he would be trimming these trees. Nobody would get into the tree with him. Nobody else would have a saw or the little trim things, only my grandfather. And all the other people would pick up branches and load them and do the things. But he was the, the person who was in charge of the trimming. So I remember that. So that's why I told the boss, I come from a long line of pruners. But of course, I had never pruned before. And so after a few weeks, we had a job that was called in. And he says, listen, I'm going to send you out. It's a pretty simple job. He says, uh, do you think you can trim this maple tree for this woman? Well, maple tree, what's the big deal about a maple tree? No problem. And so I went out to this particular woman's house and... Riverside, California, in the backyard, she had this massive, massive maple tree, one of the most beautiful maple trees you would ever see in your life. Well, I had never pruned anything in my life. <laughs> Nothing. And so I'm looking at this tree, and it's massive. It fills the whole yard. The branches are huge. And I'm trying to think, where do you start with a tree so big? Well, I did what I thought the person would do with a big tree like that is I put on my, my ankle spikes to climb into the tree. Big mistake to put on ankle spikes in a maple tree. You don't spike a tree to climb a tree. That kills a tree. Well, so I climb into the tree and I start hacking away, but I find that my tools are not big enough for the limbs that I'm hacking off. So I go back down and bring up a little chainsaw. And now I'm into this and there's something about it. I don't know if you've ever pruned or if this has ever happened to you, but an, an anointing comes on you for pruning. And so the more you prune, the more you want to prune. And it's like you prune and you prune and you prune and you cut back and yin, 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 yin. And then this limb... Is now it has nothing on it and it looks bad, so you cut the limb off, you know? And so I just kept going, and honestly, I got into just a maze of energy and excitement that I am a pruner and this tree is being pruned. Well, by the time I climbed down, this, this tree had nothing left. It was like a trunk, four or five main limbs, and a bunch of little prongs sticking out. There was nothing left on the tree. I had totally cut the whole thing down. The woman had been gone. She came back. She came out of the patio with a little tray to bring me something cold to drink. And when she came out of the house, onto the patio, I'll never forget as long as I live. She dropped the whole tray and screamed, Ah! My tree! And I thought, what's wrong with your tree, lady? 
I'm the pruner. I come from a long line of pruners. This is what trees look like when I prune them. Well, she sued the company. She had the city come out and write up a thing on it. It was in the newspaper on a minor page, but it was a joke in the newspaper. I mean, this tree got history, and I got in huge trouble. And the boss said to me, you know, he says, I thought you knew what you're doing. I said, I I do know what I'm doing, but just that kind of tree was a little different. It's not the kind I'm used to trimming. He says, what kind are you used to trimming? Smaller ones. He says, okay. He says, I'm going to have you do another job, but you better not mess this one up. I said, no problem. What is it? He says, I want you to go skin a palm tree. Skin a palm tree. He says, have you ever done that? I said, it's not a problem. I'm, I'm sure it's not a problem. I had never, I don't even know what he's talking about, let alone doing it. So he hands me these two knives that look like this handles and the curls on it. Hands me a, a, a huge rope and the bag and everything. He says, the trees are in the middle section of the busy road on a main drag, Magnolia Street in Riverside. I want you to go, and these are the first three trees we'll do today. You climb up them, you cut the dead branches off, and you keep going till you get to the top. I said, all the way to the top? Yes. I won't tell you what happened. John 15. My point is this. You really want someone to prune you who knows what they're doing. So when Jesus says, my father is the pruner, all of you can go, hallelujah. It's not some crazy pastor or some evangelical counselor or or some parent friend or some... There's all kinds of people. How many of you know there's people that would like to prune your life? And they are, they would know exactly where to start. They would start hacking off some of your habits and some of your limbs until you look like this. And they would say, that's a good job, man. I have pruned that person. And now they will be better. Thank God the pruner is the father. And he knows exactly which limbs to cut and which limbs to leave. The husbandman, the pruning, and the branches. The husbandman is God the Father. The pruning is removing hindrances to your fruit bearing, whatever those hindrances are. I'm sure you don't wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm waking up right now and I want you to really cut away today because there's some hindrances to my growth. And I know I won't like it, but I want you to just uh, move in with that sharp knife and cut off this dead wood. You probably don't pray that, get up that way, but I promise you, whether you pray it or even know what's coming, it will happen. Pruning is automatic if you are in the vine, removing hindrances to fruit bearing. The branches are you and I, those branches that have a true, intimate, real connection to Jesus. Now, if you don't have the branch that he refers to here that he takes away, if you don't have any life source, any fruits, and nothing for Jesus to deal with, you're a branch that's never been in the vine. You're not plugged into the juice of the vine. I would take that as people that have a religious knowledge of Jesus, but no relationship. They've never been born again. They have no way to produce any Christ-likeness because there's nothing in them that connects them to Christ. But they're attached maybe to the church, they're attached to knowledge, they're attached to whatever, but there's no chance of them to bear any fruit. Those that are fruit-bearer potentially are believers. Believers 
are those who have a true, intimate connection to Jesus. I keep saying this over and over again in my ministry almost every weekend, weekend and week out for two weeks a year. For the last 30 years, I say it over and over and over and over again, somewhere in a message. Why? Because I believe America thinks they're saved. America thinks if you go to church, you're a Christian. America thinks that if you have a family Bible, you're a word person. America thinks that if you're a moral person, you'll probably go to some heaven somewhere. But the Bible says you have to be born again. You have to know Jesus intimately, truly connected. You have to have a love for him and he has a love for you. And you are actually in him and he is in you. And when that happens, you can bear great fruit that the father would be very proud of. The father... Is the vine dresser. All right. The vine dresser is one who has the care of the vineyard. Whose office is to nurture, trim, defend, grow, and bring forth fruit. Now that's the father's job. Now the father is looking at every one of us. And he's strategizing on how this vineyard can be trimmed and bring forth great fruit. He's actually strategizing over your life right now and my life as he looks at the whole vineyard. And we're part of that vineyard. And he says, you know, I really want to defend that vineyard. I want to grow that vineyard. I'm involved with that vineyard. Father God is involved with your life. He cares how you bear fruit, what fruit you bear. Isaiah 5, verse 2. He dug it up, cleared out its stone, talking about the Father vineyard. God, our Father, the vine dresser. And he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst, made a wine press, expected it to bring forth. Isaiah 27. And verse 2, in that day, sing to the vineyard. I, the Lord, kept it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt come to it. I keep it night and day. I want to establish this point well before I say anything about pruning. Pruning is done by the Father, and the Father has a love for you that is so far beyond anyone else's love. He would never, ever just cut something out of your life or discipline, chastise, correct, or bring something that would be a confrontation to you if it wasn't for your good. He would never allow the circumstance to rattle your cage if he didn't think that the circumstance would bring forth some new growth in your life. He would not allow the controversy, the contradiction, the test, the trial, the valley, the wilderness... The correction, the chastisement, those things that come on a person's life that you you really don't understand. And you would like to say, where is God in this? I want to tell you where God is. God is where he's always been. He is your father. And as a father, he really knows what's best. As a father, he really has a strategy for you. Haven't you ever said to your children when you were parenting children, if you have been a parent, you don't understand everything I'm doing right now, but... You need just to respect my authority. You need to follow through with this. This is a bad decision. You can't make it. I see much more than you see. You don't let a 12-year-old talk you out of a decision that's a horrible decision. You don't let a 15-year-old date a 25-year-old just because they're emotionally involved and they can explain it to you and they can look you in the eye and say, but dad, I have feelings toward this 25-year-old. As a parent, you look at your 15-year-old daughter and you would say, those feelings are not God feelings. They're not good feelings, and they're not feelings you're going to have. I'm going to wring those feelings out of your emotions. I'm going to help you get rid of this. 
This guy is not for you. I don't care what he says. I don't care what anyone else says. I'm stopping the relationship right now. She might slam the door on you. She might cry. She might throw a tantrum. She might not talk to you for a month, whatever. But you would not give in as a father if you knew that what she would do would harm her life. When Father God deals with us, He doesn't always explain everything, but he always has the right heart toward us. He's always looking at the big picture because he's the Father God that loves us. Father God has, first of all, number one, an unconditional love. Complete, constant, he never stops loving us. He has an unconditional love for us. 1 John 4.19, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. Now remember, the pruner, the corrector, the chastiser, the one who wants to bring fruit in your life, the one who wants to get involved in every area of your life, he has unconditional love for you. If you make a mistake, he doesn't throw you away and say, that's it, you're done, you're finished. Next time I prune you, it's going to be around the trunk somewhere. I'm just going to cut the tree down. I'm not going to mess with you. He never does that. He always backs off and says, all right, let's go at it again. Why? Because... He first loved us before we ever loved him. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared to me saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I draw you out. Jeremiah 31.3. Romans 8.38.39, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth. I mean, how much more can you add to this? Nor any other created thing. She'll be able to separate us from, he said all that, just to say from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Which means the Father God connection is vital for growth. The Father God connection is vital for growth. My relationship to Jesus, the Son of God, is vital for growth. My relationship to Father God, the Father in my life, is very important as I relate to Him because He is the strategizer over everything that's happening in the vineyard. Could it be that if you have a problem with your earthly father, that you can have a problem with your heavenly father? The answer is yes. Martin Luther, the great reformer, When he was trying to pray the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he writes in his Romans commentary because he reformed Christianity with the book of Romans. But the book of Romans was not born out of the book of Romans. The book of Romans was born out of a horrible relationship that Martin Luther had with God himself. Martin Luther was a works fanatic. He would climb the the steps on glass to get his own blood shed. He would flog himself. He'd lock himself in room. He would go without food. He would do anything to get God to love him. He had missed the whole gospel story. He had missed the whole, the, the gospel of salvation never, never came into his heart. One day when he was reading Matthew 6 and they were going through the monastery prayers and he was supposed to pray this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, he says, I, I couldn't talk, I couldn't pray, I couldn't say our Father. The reason I couldn't say our Father, he says, because he, my relationship to my Father as a disciplinarian, distant, cold Father made me feel that God was the same way and I could not talk to God as a father the same way because I had a total blockage with my father. 
And so I would skip the first line every time and just pray the Lord's Prayer without saying our Father because I could not relate to God as that kind of a father. Only to please Him as the things I had to do to please Him. And I never knew if I could please Him, so I worked myself to death just to get one little squeaky thank you out of Him. So my relationship to my Father had a lot to do with my relationship to Scriptures and God. And later on, when he writes the book of Romans and he said, the just shall live by faith, is he learned... The relationship to the father was not on works. It was not how he felt that God loved him at all times. And that's why he swung so far over with the book of Romans to bring a new gospel message of the love of God. And he was persecuted for it because the whole church was set up on works at that point. But his own theology was rocked by the love of God. Romans 8.15, Paul says, you don't receive the spirit of bondage. But of adoption, and he says, you cry out, Abba, 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 Father. The word Abba, closest to English translation, would be Daddy. You cry out, Dad, Daddy. Now, Paul threw them a curve when he called Jehovah God, Daddy. That was not the term used in those days. Abba was not a term used by the rabbis, not a term used by the teachers. Paul throws a curveball there to say, you know what? You don't relate to God as some distant creator, some distant almighty up there, somebody on the throne, the just and righteous God everlasting, which he is, all those things. Paul says, you have to bring God right down into your world and into your heart as your dad, your daddy. I I believe that in America with the father crisis and the... Father disappearing act and a generation coming up without fathers has some bearing on Christianity. Fact, 40% of all children tonight will go to bed in a house without their father. 40%. That's America stats. That's a fact without their father. We have a generation entering the marketplace who were born 60s, 70s and now taking more authority and those children, children coming up that never have known a father. The role of a father in America is now so much of a problem that so much research is coming out to try to prove that the role of a mother is awesome and important, but it can never replace the role of a father. Now, if you're a single mother raising children, that could make you feel, well, I can never meet my kids' needs. But I'll answer that in a moment. The role of a father in child development until the 1960s, researchers saw little importance of the father's role in parenting. The weight of the burden rested on the mother, which was never, never, never the case in the 1800s. The father was the storyteller, the Bible reader, the disciplined person, he was the person that had the parenting number one first. And up until the early 1900s, in any divorce, the children were never given to the mother. They were always given to the father. It was a whole different shift that has happened. Not that that was wrong, but the father was the pillar, the, the person who was the provider and the parent, and he would lead the way with the mother. But something happened in the early 1900s 
with the Industrial Revolution, everything else, the home changed. And since then, it's all changed until now we come to a place that, well, you can't even define. You, you can't even find a decent father on the television with any sitcom, with any movie, nothing. It's always some kind of a weak, weird, comical father. It's always some kind of a, a picture of a father who is double-minded and doesn't discipline and, and uh, the kids make fun of him and there's a strong mother in the house and the father's kind of a wimp. And so there's that kind of an image that has seeped into the American thinking and I think also into our relationship to, from men to men. It's affected us. And so the father problem plays into what I'm saying this morning. If your relationship to a father, or maybe you've never had a father. Maybe your father was absent emotionally and maybe even physically and your relationship to him is very, very, very small or you have none at all. Or you have a perfectly normal live-in father but no relationship. Or you might have a father relationship that's good but it's really not one that pours forth love into your life or acceptance and you would do anything to get just that Thank you out of him. Or yes, you're doing great. Or, you know, you read stories of some of these great athletes and what they try to get from their fathers. It's unbelievable. They can get the awards of the year. The guy who got the running back award of the year, he said everything was great because he got all these awards. He said, but the one award I was waiting for that I never got was my father never even said, good job. Well done. My own father never even said, all he said is, you missed that last tackle on the last game. Why'd you miss that tackle? Missed one tackle. Well, missed hundreds of them, but in that game. Why are you bringing that up? Well, why'd you miss the tackle? Dad, we won the game. We, we... Never, ever having a relationship to a father that can just say, you are accepted you are loved. I love you the way you are. I am there for you. You can never turn me away from you. I will always pour my love upon you. It is unconditional. If you fail, like the coach saying, when my kids were playing sports. One coach said, you know, uh, I take the kids out uh, for a Sunday every time they win a game. I said, that's horrible. They go, excuse me? I said, that's horrible. I said, why don't you take them out for a Sunday every time they lose a game? I said, why would you punish them for loss and only pray? Because I want them to win. I said, that's not the way to get them to win. To give them a Sunday every time, only when they do really well. All right, here comes your Sunday. But if you lose, they all go home with their... I said, no way is my son playing for you. He said, well, I'll buy him a Sunday if, if you want when they lose. I said, okay, then he can play for you. That's as serious as a heart attack. I don't want that kind of award system that if you do good, all right. You do bad, you are bad. Not only did you do bad, you are bad. You are a failure. You don't measure up. I don't like the way you are. I don't like the way you look. I'm not going to put up with this. And then if you uh, say things and, and tear that child down or an older child or even in an adult relationship, you take from them all the self-worth until they get to the place where they don't want to talk with you. Why? Because they're afraid you will say to them, 
And what about this? Why didn't you do that? You're not going to go to them if you lose a job. Say, hey, Dad, I lost my job. I knew it. You are so flaky. You're always losing something. You lose your keys. You lose your car. Now you're losing your job. Next you'll be losing your marriage. You're not going to go to a person like that and have them minister such wonderful emotional feelings into you and lift you up. And You're going to go to someone that can at least say, let's talk about it. How did it happen? Well, your life is more than your job. You know what? You can get another job. Now we're going to work on this. Let me help you with some applications. A father is not going to throw you out because you don't measure up. But a person who's not a father, well, our relationship to our fathers can cause us to back off from God. And so when we open our life and say, okay, Lord, um, prune away. Go ahead, take out the dead wood. Go ahead, take out anything in my life that you want to take out. But if you don't trust that father to be a loving, wise, gentle, amazing father, you're not going to open up to that. And the first time he cuts a limb, you're going to say, why'd you do that? Where's this going? Instead of just saying, I trust you, you're my father, you've always loved me. Everything you do is love for me. You've always accepted me. You've always forgiven me. You've always given me second chances. You've always built me up. Even when I knew I made a stupid mistake, you gave me a way to get out of it without ruining myself. You're the kind of father that I can really love and trust. You're the kind of father that that never, ever says, I give up. You never have given up. You have never, ever, ever. Even when I backslid and I came back, you're the one who called the servants together and, you know, gave me the new robe and the ring and the shoes and threw the party. I didn't deserve a party, didn't deserve a robe, the ring, the shoes, nothing. But you did it. You're the, you're the kind of father that even though you knew I was immoral and I came in to, to break my alabaster box and put the oil in your feet, you're the kind of father that didn't just say, what are you doing touching my feet, you immoral woman? You totally washed my past by saying, this woman knows exactly what she's doing and she's chosen the better part. You accepted me and erased my past. You're the kind of father who doesn't take the fisherman because he denied you at the pivotal point. Say, you'll never be my follower. But after the resurrection, you're the kind of father that says, hey, you guys, meet me and don't forget, bring Peter with you. Don't leave Peter behind. Yeah, Peter's really bummed out, man. He is so bummed out. He, he denied you and, and he is so bummed out. He's so discouraged. He's going back into business. He's not going to have anything to do with us. You just bring him. Tie him up, drag him, bring him. He's still mine. I want him. Father God never gives up. He never punishes for the past. He forgives. There's consequences for sin just in the natural of things that you might have to go through. But even in that, there's grace and there's mercy and there's words of encouragement. Words that would lift you up. Listen to what the Bible says about an unconditional father. I'm going to rattle through these. You won't be able to take them down, but you can listen. You may not know me, but I know everything about you. I'm taking these all from scriptures. Every one of my lines has a scripture. Psalms 139 and right through the Bible. I know you. I know every part of you. When you sit down, when you rise up, I'm familiar with everything you do and why you do it. 
Even the very hairs on your head are numbered because I love you so much. You're made in my image. You live and you move in me. I'm your life. You're my offspring. I knew you before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You're not a mistake. All your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live, what you would look like. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I planned every cell, every bone, every part of you. I knit you together when you were still in your mother's womb. This is in your Bible. And I brought you forth on the day you were born with great joy and pride. I have been misrepresented by some people around you. They might try to get you to believe that I'm distant and angry, but that's untrue. I'm the complete expression of love, and my love for you will never change. It is my desire to lavish my love on you more than you could ever contain, simply because you're my child and I'm your father. I offer you more than any earthly father could ever give you, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that comes down from heaven is from me. I'm your provider. I'll meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts of you are countless as the sand of the seashore. I think about you all the time. I rejoice over you in heaven with singing. I'll never stop doing good for you. You are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and soul. And I want to do great and marvelous things for you. Delight in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Because that is what brings me joy. I am your father that comforts you in trouble. When you're broken hearted, I'm close to you. And I feel your brokenness. I'm your shepherd. When you go astray, I'll get you back. I'm the person who will wipe away all your tears. Even when no one else sees those tears. I'm your father. I love you with an everlasting love. There's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. I'm not counting your sins. I'm counting your future days. I'm counting your blessing. I have forgiven you totally. I will love you all the days of your life. How many would say, that's the kind of father I want. Now, God is the father to the fatherless. If you're a person who doesn't have a father, a relationship to a father, a father you can put your hands on or reach out and feel the physical hug. If you're a person that has problems between you and your father, there's a father God that loves you the way that no earthly father could ever love you. Psalm 68 and verse 3. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. He's the father who loves you like every father should love. If for some reason an earthly father can't do it, you can turn to your heavenly father and say, heal me of everything that has happened with my earthly father, my wrong concepts, the hurts that I have. And remember this, remember this. 
Your earthly father, if, if he was a poor father, a bad father, a, a, not a perfect father, none of us are perfect. I'm not the perfect father, even though I'm a preacher, teacher, and know the Bible. There's a lot of room for me to improve all the time. But I do know what I'm supposed to do. And so I try to father in a very real and a very right biblical way. But there's times when I would fail. Every father has that. But there are some fathers that don't even try, don't even know what to do. And they have no model to follow. And their relationship to their children and their relationship to other people is somewhat hindered because they have no way to know how to relate. They just can't say the words, I love you. They can't say the words, I accept you. They can't do it. They'll rather take you shopping or buy you something or send you a gift, but not just lavish their love on you and total acceptance. But God will do that. Now, every earthly father is not eternal. They had a beginning. And their beginning, and their being raised as a father, sometimes a hurt person is a person who hurts. And a hurting person is a person who doesn't know how to love right. So some fathers, your father, my father, a generation of fathers, maybe did not have a model of fathering, and the love from a father... And things that happen in their life. And so what they're doing is out of some kind of a hurt and a twistedness that they don't know how to solve. And so they're trying to do what they can. If you hate, resist, hold that against them, then you don't see the whole picture that they're also a person who needs to be loved and forgiven by you. Loved and forgiven by you, knowing that they have a lot of stuff they're dealing with also. So you can release anything And your heart toward them. A father who loves is a father who accepts. A father who accepts is a father who gets involved in your life. A father who gets involved in your life brings forth the right kind of fruit in your life. Now, does he correct you? Yes. Does he discipline people? Yes. Does he take dead branches out of your life? Yes. He prunes away everything in my life that shouldn't be there, but it's always out of a father's Love. Pruning cuts away the dead wood, cuts away damaged wood. Now I'm asking you right now, this message to allow the Holy Spirit to cut away the dead wood, the damaged wood, any growth that's growing the wrong direction, and allow there to come some stimulation in your life that would bring forth some brand new fruit. Dead wood is something that cannot produce in your life. Get it out. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. Those things that are absolutely wrong morally. Those things that are wrong in your mind. Those relationships that are wrong. Dead wood. They will never produce the right fruit. Damaged stuff. Things that have happened to you that you're holding. Got to let the damage wood go. When he begins to prune. He prunes with discipline. The discipline of a loving father. Deuteronomy 8. Verse 5, Proverbs 3.12, Hebrews 12.6 says the same thing. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. He scourges, chastises every person that he loves. So there will come some spankings, some corrections, and some prunings. But it's always with the love of God. When he prunes, he'll prune away the dead wood, and the dead wood could look something like this. Sinful dead wood. That is anything in your life that is finds its source in selfishness and self. Anything in self will not produce. Self-ambition, selfishness, 
the character flaws that come with it, hindrances that could be called dead wood, anything that hinders you from actually moving into a place of growth, that hindrance could be your focus, that hindrance could be your time, that hindrance could be that you fill your life with the wrong thing. God says, I will cut away the hindrances. Distractions can be dead wood. Bad habits are certainly dead wood. Habit patterns of behavior. Excuses can be dead wood. Well, I don't do this because, and I can't, and you know, I would, but... And then living for the temporary can be dead wood. Now, Jesus, Father, wants to come and trim all the dead wood out. What's your response? My response is, I want to love God. And I want to love God as my Father. And if there's any dead wood in my life with the Father connection, I I certainly want to take it out.